Hey, it's Brandon here and I have some big news. Seven Figure Millennials is now beyond curious. I am so excited for this new brand and I would highly encourage you to go check out episode number 140 for all of the juicy details. But as a teaser for episode 140, the central question for Seven Figure Millennials, the original show from the beginning was, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? I spent over 1,000 hours researching this question and published 139 episodes. And after all of that, I have an answer. And I put together that answer in a legit masterclass that weaves together clips from previous guests all to answer that question. So if you wanna hear my answer, the why behind Beyond Curious and the vision moving forward, go check out episode number 140. But you are here listening to this episode, which I know is amazing, but I would just highly recommend you also check out episode number 140 for the full explanation behind the rebrand. All right, here's your episode. Greetings, my friend, and welcome to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are choosing to do things differently. We are choosing to prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships while we build a business that creates a meaningful impact in the lives of the people that we love and generating the wealth for us to design a beautiful life on our terms. And if this is the very first time you've ever heard my voice, or if you're a regular listener, I just wanted to take the time to tell you how much I appreciate you. I say it every single week, but seriously, I really do appreciate you for coming and listening and learning from these incredible people that are making a massive impact in the world and taking their knowledge and applying it so that you can do exactly the same same. And today's guest, if you want to expand your impact by getting on the media and creating real results, is this this guest is going to be a great listen for you. Today, we are hanging out with Susan Harrow. In this episode, I want you to look out for three specific things. Number one, what self-worth has to do with getting more results in a media interview. Really, really important foundational stuff. Number two, how to pitch the media in a way that actually gets them to respond. And number three, how to leverage real-time feedback from pitching and being on media to make your messages more memorable. And if you're wondering who is this incredible guest that we're interviewing today, well, today you and I get to hang out with Susan Harrow, who is a media trainer, marketing strategist, martial artist, and author of the best-selling book, Sell Yourself Without Selling Your Soul. For the past 33 years, she's run Harrow Communications, Inc., a worldwide media consultancy where she's trained thousands of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders worldwide wide to turn their message into money while becoming highly desirable repeat guests who shine in the media spotlight. She's prepped her clients and course participants to appear on, get ready for it, Oprah, 60 Minutes, The Today Show, Good Morning America, Fresh Air, Marketplace, Bloomberg, MSNBC, NPR, CNN, Fox, NYT, WSJ, Wired, Forbes, Inc., Oprah. <laughs> you get the idea. She's gotten her, her clients featured everywhere, and maybe I should be an auctioneer. Just kidding. I, I screwed up a lot there. So <laughs> anyways, her course, The Zen of Fame, Your Genius Gone Viral, shows people how to promote themselves with integrity and spirit, and you may know her as the go-to girl for getting on Oprah. What you might not know about her is that she is a black belt in Aikido and was recruited by the CIA to be a spy. Hmm, mysterious. <laughs> Super excited for you to listen to this incredible interview with my new friend, Susan Harrow. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. 
So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Susan, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. This is going to be an absolute blast. I can't wait. I've been so looking forward to it. And oh my God, you know, your dimples are something that I totally, I, I don't know if we're allowed to say that anymore. That's not politically correct, but I was just like, I wish I had those dimples and it just makes you immediately lovable. I appreciate that. I, I kind of forget that I have dimples. I haven't I haven't heard that compliment in a while. So I, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I want to give a shout out to Denise Griffiths, who I knew connected us. Uh, I always love honoring the people that, that make that happen. So Denise, you are the best. And I'm super excited to dive all into Susan's brilliance. Yes. And I thought, I thought a very natural spot to start would have to be with tennis and Kings. <laughs> so uh, you had told me earlier that you had a really interesting experience where you learned about how teaching tennis to kings and kids who don't have their own rackets inform some of the stuff that you do today. So I would love for you to dive into that story and share it with us. Yeah, one of my first experiences. So I was, um, I, I I taught at some tennis camps and one was like super elite with the, the sons of kings and people who were like super famous. And, and at the same time, I was teaching disadvantaged kids. And what I really noticed about that one of the things that we did is we used video to actually see what at that time. So who, who had thought about that to actually see where your body is in space and time. And that is completely informed how I media train today because we see each we see ourselves on video and then, you know, we have a reaction to what what we're doing and what we're saying. But it's really the quickest feedback is to see that. And, and kids learned the the kids that I taught learned super fast because they could see where their racket was. Was it up too high? Was it up too low? And could immediately make those kind of changes. The other thing that I noticed about the difference, you know, when people had money and prestige and time is that they, they took the time to practice. And what happened uh, with the kids who were disadvantaged is they didn't have that discipline and they didn't have the luxury of time also because of the way that their lives were structured, that they were always, um, you know, in more um, uh, mode of being, you know, at the subsistence level. So they had a lot harder time focusing on what was important in the moment. And that was a training that I really needed to work on with them. It's like, you're here now on the tennis court. And the most important thing in this moment is not to just see the ball, but to see the spin on the ball, mm -hmm. to take it down to sort of a micro level for them. So where they couldn't just focus on the ball and when they watch the spin on the ball, then they could connect and be completely absorbed. So I think it's really taking someone's experience in their life and being able to, make it applicable to where they are in this moment and that it's possible for anyone to like bring bring that presence to what they're doing no matter how difficult their lives are at the moment which happens because i have to say like oftentimes when we're when we have a big media interview like it's the most important thing like oprah or the new york times or or the today show or whatever it is um stuff happens that throws us off center and we and there are all kinds of 
things that we practice together before we do that big show that helps people get back to center the breath and to be able to be present in that moment, which is the most important thing. Like what you were just talking about, your interview with Mike Koenigs, it's not people aren't buying your stuff, they're buying who you are. And I think that's mm -hmm. really, that's really true. Yeah, I love that story and that example for so many levels. One, a quote that comes up on my show all the time is you can't read the label from inside the jar. And I think that oftentimes we forget the power of having external feedback. Even if you're playing something like tennis, I'm a huge spike ball player. <laughs> so I've been a super nerd where I film myself. And, but, but I think it's so true in any kind of appearance, we forget how we're expressing ourselves and learning how to be a student of yourself and what you're doing and just kind of studying the external version of you, if you kind of have that ability to look at yourself from an outside perspective, that's super powerful. And, and, and see the you... feedback that comes back. Because mm. lots of times we think, like I had one woman in one of my workshops way long time ago, and, and we were talking about like what kind of animal you were. And she's like, um, you know, people said, you know, I'm a bear. And somebody said, yeah, I'm a wolf. I'm a tiger. And she said, I'm a little brown mouse. And I thought, she that's exactly what she is. She is a little brown mouse and we all could see it. And we could all see the tiger in the other person, but it's, it's actually part of getting that external feedback that helps us shift what's not working. Like how we were, I mean, leaders come across this all the time. And it's like, why aren't people open in my meetings? And it's like, because you jump on people and criticize them you know, instantly. And they don't, they're not even aware that they're doing that, how they're shutting up their employees or, you know, in a media interview, how a host shuts a person down or, and we need to be prepared for all of that, no yeah. matter, no matter what the circumstances. That's something I've been working on a lot. Actually, I'm going to attribute this to another interview I did with a, a good, incredible guy. His name is Alok. And he was talking about whenever somebody gives you a compliment, they're giving you a gift. And so often we just kind of brush it past. Like even your very kind comment about my, my dimples. That's very easy to just pass on by and not think about. But like people are showing a version of you. And if you can be deeply grateful of it and actually look at that, like I didn't even realize yeah, my dimples could be a part of it, my strength that I didn't even realize that I had. So, and, and I wouldn't they have been able, I wouldn't have even thought about that if you hadn't told me about it. So that's just a takeaway for anyone right now. It's like the next time someone gives you a compliment, don't just brush it off. Like, first of all, really accept it. And then also there might be some kind of hidden insights there that you could amplify a little bit and use a little bit more. So I I, I love that. And I, I want to, you know, we, we started Can by talking about- that too, though? Yes, I want please. To create an incredible moi file, an incredible me file, incredible moi is French mm. and start to put those compliments in it. Cause then when you don't have the, you know, when you don't, when you feel bad about yourself or whatever, you could refer to that file. And of course I have friends that I call my friend Sark. I always call, you know, if I'm feeling insecure and then we have a sort of a system that bolsters each other up, like, cause you, you forget the good things about yourself and you need, you need to be reminded. So it's not just the superficial things or the compliments, but it's, it's who we are that we mm. need to be, that we want to be reminded of in ourselves. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I I have I think I have it. I think I call it my happy folder. I have like every time I get a I screenshot like or something, I I have that. I put it in my happy folder. So <laughs> I love that. I love it. Yeah, it's so I I want to kind of build on the beginning of what we we're talking about because we started by talking about like you were working with 
like basically kids of kings, you know, really, really affluent people. And you have on your site a, 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 a we'll, we'll call it a normal bio. And then you have another version that's called the wild bio. And <laughs> when I first, when I first read your wild bio, I'm like, this literally belongs in a movie. And I think there was obviously some intentionality about how you, you were able to craft it. And uh, one of the lines that stood out to me was your background about how you, you had some parents with some really interesting backgrounds. So I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about how your parents maybe shaped you and the way that you view the world and maybe how it informed what you do today. One of the things that um, that our audience might want to be aware of is the anything that's out there and any information that's out there, the media can use as is. And I learned this sort of the hard way, even when I was a publicist and I wrote that wild bio and a woman on a TV show read it. And I thought, well, part of that wild bio is tongue in cheek. My father was not really a marionette maker who taught me to go through life with no strings attached. That was a more a creative uh, version. Uh, yes, he absolutely did that. But how that came about was my brother, who's a who, who's one of the foremost klezmer musicians and scholars in the world, who's played with Itzhak Perlman and Ca Carnegie Hall and everything. He was so tired of journalists and, and producers and hosts getting his bio wrong that he wrote this insane bio that, that, and that's what inspired me to write mine. But he wrote this crazy bio that you couldn't possibly believe that in, involves flamingos and how we traveled the world and all of this stuff. And of course they printed that version. So I learned the hard way when she actually read it, I was horrified. And part of that was also, then the other part of that is that my mother is a gypsy who taught me to read people's face, fortunes on their faces. And so both of those things are true. So my dad taught me, you know, I'm, even though I'm a girl, I can do anything and to just go, to go forward and do it and not be attached to the, to the outcome. Right. And my mom, everybody, like we'd meet people in the grocery store and they would be telling my mom her life story. And people do that to me all the time too. And what I learned from my mom, she was literally like my first media coach because I was kind of a wild child and we won't go into that branded, but I was kind of a wild teenager. And my mother would do like pop quiz questions about heinous things to watch the expression on my face mm -hmm. and that kind of media training so when when you're in a media interview and someone asks you an inappropriate aggressive or intimate question is to maintain your equanimity and not react and respond and I started learning that from my mom because she could read the answer on my face and I was determined not to let her know what mischief I'd gotten into that's that's incredible. And your bio is hilarious. And it, I love how you spice it up a little bit because it, I mean, I think there's so much gold in what you said there in the sense that if you take away even just like at the superficial level, like there's so much that we can learn from our parents about us. Like it's it's funny because when it's you, you can't tell that it's you. But if you ever just kind of look at your parents with that loving perspective, like you can see so <laughs> many of the characteristics that would passed on to you. And so when you can, when you yeah. can, I, I actually did this project where I interviewed uh, my grandparents and I, wow. it was just uh, not intended for any form of publication, but it was just really cool to see what they did that they passed on to my parents that kind of came on to me because when it's your own brain, you can't see it, I guess, kind of going back to our externalization theme before, but it's cool that you've been able to pick up the best components of what your parents gave you and incorporate that into everything that you've been able to do. 
I love that you interviewed your grandparents. I think that's really beautiful. And I think that when you start to study your own history, that's something that can go into your bio too, like the way that your grandparents informed your parents that informed you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't see those themes. When I work with clients on their signature story, which everybody needs to have, because it's the first question, typically a podcast um, interviewer or a TV host asks you, why do you do what you do? Why did you write your book? Why did you start your business? You need to have that. And um, and and I do have, by the way, um, that we'll talk about later, but I do have a, a free template that people can have that will guide them love through that. those um, signature stories. There are, there are five, five main ones, but there's lots more. But what I wanted to say about that is that um, starting to trace the themes in the past is what informs you today. And lots of times we're just not aware of it. But when we start interviewing our grandparents or our parents and starting to look at the, the things that we did in our youth to what brought us here today, we can start to see some of those themes and then we can incorporate those into, into our bio, whether it's a wild bio. And by the way, one of the reasons why I wrote that wild bio and what people have said, it was sort of before the internet was new when I, when I wrote that. And um, a lot of people hired me because of the wild bio, because they could see what kind of person I was going back to what you were talking to Mike Koenigs about. It's like, yes, I, of course, they're going to look and vet me for experience, but they, if we're going to be hanging out for a year, six months or a year, they want to know, are you a hangoutable person? A hundred percent. So you just mentioned Mike Koenigs. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I, I hope it'll have come out before this. I assume it had come out before this because it's just by the order of it. But if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it or otherwise that it's coming up in the future. But one of the things I was talking about on my interview was with Mike was the value of storytelling when it comes to building your personal brands. And we I think the example he gave was like Tesla most likely wouldn't have a trillion dollar market value if it weren't for Elon Musk and the story and the mystique that he's kind of built around him and the things that you hear about him. And one of the things that I kind of became apparent as I was studying your stuff is that you're really good at helping people to identify these stories and then leverage them more effectively in media and things like inside of their bio. So if somebody's listening to this right now, you might've already heard some hints of like going back through your past and your history. But like, if you're working with a client, what are some of the ways that you start to kind of excavate and pull out those stories and maybe even the sides of things that people might not even give themselves full credit for, for being interesting? I love that question. And I was, I was just working with a client yesterday. She's a psychiatrist and she has, um, she has some really uh, insightful and new and thought leadership that we're going to be putting out there. I can't talk about what it is because we're not, we haven't gotten it out there yet, but part of what we're doing is creating the case studies that are where she's speaking all over the world. She's speaking in Paris. She's speaking in Dubai. We want to get those case studies that show um, where someone, whether it's a client or customer, how you start with them, what you did together, and what was the result. So one story that you always want is your client success story or your case study. And in you know, in in her case, because that's it's kids and it's and it's um, moving kids from depression and anxiety into a what she calls a functional life, but not necessarily a happy life, which sometimes, which is kind of a different perspective. It's like our goal is not happiness. Our goal is to have a child function, have family, friends, um, 
also, you know, good grades, sports, like all the things that they want to be, to be well-rounded, to, to live that kind of functional life. So, so the first thing is, is case studies, how you've helped people or the experience that someone's had with your uh, product. If it's a product-based business, you want to know like beyond like tasting good, if it's a snack, like how does it make mm. people, does it energize them? Like there's this great guy on LinkedIn um, who's got a product called you should probably interview him. He's really great. Um, forage. It's um, it's granola with adaptogens in it. Hmm. And I met him here in San Rafael. He drove his van, which he drives around all country that he kind of like lives in. And I loved, um, you know, this, where was I going with that? That's he had a, he has a, he had a great story and, he, so he has this great story about going around the country in his van, and I totally lost my train of thought there. So if you ever lose your train of thought, you can sometimes ask the host or another panelist, like, where was I going with that? Even in a speech, you can say, yeah, yeah. Where was I? So where was I? There was a point to that story, and now I don't remember what it was. Do you remember? There was a, there was a little bit of meta training in there of, 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 of Susan <laughs> doing her own ninja stuff. We were talking about um, how you help clients come up with stories and then package them. Like if somebody is listening to this and they don't know how to unpack their stories what are some ways that they could kind of build a story bank and then begin to mold them oh yeah so what, what i wanted to say about that so thank you is um what was the experience of you eating that uh that that granola that helped your brain so it's not about mm -hmm. just ingredients like it's got all these healthy ingredients and stuff it's going one step beyond it's like it's the experience that the person has interacting with your business book product service or cause that that was the key there. The other yeah. story that you want to have that you've illustrated so beautifully is you want to have some advice. Like, how are you enlightening your audience? How are you educating your audience? How are you infotaining them? What are you giving them that's a nugget that they that they maybe didn't know already? It's got to be new. It's got to be fresh. Some kind of trend that's going on right now. And one trend that I can tell you that you are also exemplifying right now that just came in out in Fast Company yesterday, research on video and Zoom and why you should stand up versus sitting down. Now, mm -hmm. the, 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 it's not conclusive because there was some... Um, extrapolation and correlation that was said. So I wasn't complete. I have to say I wasn't completely convinced because part of standing up is gesturing, which you do. And so you can sit down and gesture like I'm doing now. And you should, because there's research out by Vanessa Edwards when she's analyzed all of these TED Talks um, that people who gesture more in TED Talks, their talks are way more popular. So Simon Sinek, Temple Grandin, they're in the 600 range for gesturing. And so it works really well, but it's got to be about in this range. So you don't want to be here uh, covering your face and you don't want to be here where your hands are just peeping up like this. And this is all we're seeing. So it's about in this range that you're making natural gestures. And TV is a little bit different because people on, if you're on a real TV show and you're in studio, oftentimes you want to be, you want to keep your head completely still and you may not want to gesture, but just because they're not gesturing doesn't mean that you don't need to gesture, but most people are sitting completely still, hands on the table or hands in their lap in a TV interview. So you want to pay attention to what the medium, what people are doing in your medium that are the pros. Hmm. Got it. Love that. So I think what I pulled from that too is like, it's classic 
copywriting, if you study direct response, like people don't buy products and services, they do things to make them feel a certain way. And when you can come up with uh, an experience or emotion or a story or give some advice that gets them to feel a certain way, um, that's really kind of what the underlying structure is of it. So I, I, I'm curious. So if somebody listened to that and then they start kind of going through some of the components of their life and maybe they pull out a client story or they pull out a story about themselves, one of the things that you help people do as well is like, how do you take a story and then make it really sizzle? So like, I, I'm just, I don't know if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but like, so, so I've been kind of come up trying to come up with a story bank of ideas for myself. So I kind of have a Trello board where it's like, if I come up with a new story, I'll kind of put it in there. And so I've been kind of working on building stories about my connection superpowers. So like I have a story about how I used to skip school when I was 16 years old and go to networking events, or when uh, I used to actually do cold calls for my parents to help them grow their business. When I, when my voice was <laughs> dropped as, as soon as I was old enough to hit puberty, <laughs> I have like those kinds of stories, but I, now I'm at a point where it's just kind of like a bullet point. And I don't really know how to turn that. I, I could obviously expand it and tell a more expansive story. Or um, obviously the other thing I'm looking for is like, how do I turn that into a soundbite that might be interesting? So what are some of the things, if somebody has a general idea of some stories, how do we then begin to turn those into real assets for us? Let's go back to, to, to the framework though, to really look at the bigger picture first, because what I start with all my clients and workshop participants are three core questions. What's your big vision? How do you want to serve? And, mm. and that can be within your community. It doesn't have to be like a big world vision. So, but it's your, your personal vision mission. Number two is what do you want for yourself? Professionally, personally, physically, financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, all the things, because PR can open up the whole world to you. So being very specific about your goals and really putting numbers and quantity on it. And then number three is what do you want your audience to do? The, the mm -hmm. call to action, what, what action do you want them to take? And it can be a change in perception, for sure, if you're a thought leader and want to change a point of view, but it can also be go to my website and buy my granola or whatever, whatever that is, engage with me on some level. So that informs the whole program. Then we look at like, can you possibly be a thought leader? Like, do you have ideas about the world that you want to shift a perception? So with the psychiatrist that I was talking about, she doesn't believe that most psychiatrists practice in a way that's conducive to helping the most people, meaning they want people to come back and they want people to have lots of appointments and spend lots of money. She wants to get the kids in and out of her program in a couple of months and functional. And if you need to call me back, call me back. But her whole mm. philosophy is like, let's serve as many people as we can. And we get these kids functional um, quickly and it doesn't take long. And that's also a belief system that she's that she's giving to her her patients, right? Like you can get better quickly. So it's not just a worldview. It's a personal view. It's just like the teacher who believed in you or your parents who believed in you that you could do whatever it was that they imagined for you. So, um, so we start with that and then your messaging sequences or your messaging follows what you want to achieve for yourself and your business and brand in a big picture way, in a in, and we don't, and I, I want to be clear, we don't have to like set our goals out five, five years from now, because what I really love is that one thing can lead to another and something mm. and connected, but it's just really being intentional. Like, who do I want to connect with? Who do I want partnerships with? What kind of opportunities do I want? Really opening your mind to that. So I had another client who, um, she had a book coming out. She has a book out 
um, about the taboo subject of being sexually abused since she was five. But she also mm. has an event planning business that's very robust, luxury event planning. It's absolutely gorgeous. So one of the things that we were talking about is like, what celebrities do you want to connect with? Because you have this other business that you have, that you have an opportunity to bring them into this other thing, to, to be a spokesperson for this topic that's so important and to sort of change the system of the foster system, foster care system, the, the abuse that's going on in so many different levels of, we have a chance to bring those two things together. So it's really looking at that big picture. Who do you want to be aligned with? And then is your messaging following that? Your messaging sequence, is it, is it targeting both those high level people who might hear you? And is it also getting people in the door if you want people to buy your book or be on a podcast? Is it serving you that way too? And are you reaching people on all of those levels? So that's the, the behind the scenes messaging in, in the sequencing. So when you have your Trello board of stories, um, with each media interview you do or podcast interview, you're going to choose which stories are appropriate for that particular audience. You might have a business audience, you might have lawyers, you might have the you know millennials who are scaling. All those stories are not pertinent to like scaling to a seven figure business, mm -hmm. so you're not going to use them. You're 100%. only going to use the stories that are that are if if you're talking to millennials about building a seven figure business, you want to choose those stories that are going to help get them there. Yeah. Love that. Well, there just in case you heard Susan sharing her wisdom and you were, you're, you know, I was going to say this as a joke earlier, Susan, I was listening to a podcast you were on and you made dishes very hard because I was washing the dishes and you would say something brilliant. And I would have to go and dry my hands and <laughs> take a note and then start doing dishes again. But so if you're washing dishes right now, that's why I'm thinking about it. Uh, you know, three questions for you to ask yourself, what's your big vision? What do you want for yourself and what do you want your audience to do? And I think if you just took a time, some 15, 20 minutes, obviously, maybe your big vision is going to take more than that. But if you just sat and answered those questions, I think lots of incredible things will come as a result of that. I, I wanted to also dive into a topic that I'm so glad that you cover this. I'm so glad that you talk about this on your site because it's something that I feel like is uh, something that people don't fully realize, but I, I heard you, this is one of the, when I was listening to the, you on a podcast, when I was washing dishes, this is where I had to stop and literally type out what you said, because I thought it was so brilliant, but you were talking about the concept of self-worth and that when, when you are communicating with someone, lots of what people are perceiving is actually how you feel about yourself. And like, that's one of the things that is those underlying, you know, yeah, you can work on your stories. Yeah, you can work on all this kind of stuff. But if you don't really love and trust yourself, it makes it kind of hard to communicate. So I would love for you to share a little bit more about some of the ways that you coach people through that, or or maybe just the importance of understanding your self-worth as you go on PR and media. Presence is the most important thing. And, and that's what we perceive first about you. And and while I say, you know, people follow your lead, that's not as a criticism, like that doesn't mean that you're allowing people to treat you, treat you badly. So I want to make, make that clear. But as you start um, building your own um, self-worth and understanding your own value in the world and really trusting that, people perceive that. And I was just, you know, I did the masterclass. Uh, I don't know if you know that series masterclass. Uh, mm, that, yeah. You know, with Shonda Rhimes. And one of the things that Shonda, you know, she's written Scandal and, and Grey's Anatomy, and then that new one where they're in the costumes, which I can't remember the name of. And one of the things that she said, you know, people asked her, you know, how have you navigated this as a black 
you know, woman of color in a, in a man's white world. And she said, even when I was at Dartmouth, she said, I always um, felt like I had a place at the table. I felt like I belonged. And the other part to that, and they said, well, you know, what if somebody doesn't believe you should be at the table? And she said, why would I let someone else's beliefs define me? And that really stayed with me because I think we do that often. Um, we allow other people's perceptions, even if they may, if we may think that they're true, um, start to define us. And so the big picture vision that we have of ourselves is our is our deepest intention, but it's also we're like three people. We're our past, we're our present, and our future. And who is it that you want to live into in the future? And is what you're telling yourself in your head in alignment with that, with the kind of person mm. you want to be, not just not just what you want to do, but the kind of person in every single moment who you want to be? I mean, I ask myself that question all the time. Somebody was struggling to, you know, get a dog in a car. And I was like, I was like, should I go over? He was kind of old. The dog was old. And I was like, should I go over there and 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 help him? Or is his pride going to be hurt? Right. But my first instinct mm. was to run over and 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 help. And so I just sort of watched. But the point is in every moment, like who is that person? That's the person who who I am, who's, who's helpful, who wants to help sometimes too much. Right. And so that's where I'm like navigating my own self. Is it, where's too much help? You know, is that's as unhelpful as not as much help and starting to really micromanage your mind in tombs or in terms of choosing the thoughts that are coming up, because that's the choice that we have in that moment, that choice comes up. And instead of criticizing myself for it, oh, Susan, you're always so overly helpful. You know, this is one instance for that, you know, like just mind your own business, right? Like, so that was part of my self-talk too. Like just my BYI, right? My, mind your own business, right? Um, and then I shifted that and said, well, what's the appropriate way right now? And so with my clients, we do everything from, I'm certified in something called the one command, which is a, a process to help you um, move through thing, your beliefs, your, your patterns, your beliefs, and your blocks super fast. And that's something from Asara Lovejoy. And some of my clients who don't have confidence or, and that's everyone, by the way, who's scared to go, you know, on, on media, we start to do that. And that's part of the cumulative process. I just taught a client tapping, breathing, all of those kinds of things that are cumulative processes that bring us to who we are today that can be used ahead of time. And then there are processes that are used in the moment or techniques in the moment, like what happens when you are asked a question that is overly aggressive or you don't know, like you asked me ahead of time, are there any, any places I don't want to go, but there are lots of places where my clients don't want to go that are, that are trigger, that are trigger points or that just lead them down a path that they don't want to go. I was media training um, a client the other day who's in the cybersecurity field, who's absolutely brilliant. And she brought up a point in her bio and I'm just said, do you want to go there? Is that where you want to go? Is that where you want to lead the interview? And she's like, no. And I said, don't give me the opening because mm -hmm. you give me the opening. I'm a journalist or, or a host or a producer. I'm going to take it because you have opened that door to that for me. So it's really being aware also of um, how you're opening those doors 
or not, and what you want to keep private and what you want to be public. And those are the boundaries that we set ahead of time. You know, mm. where, how personal do you want to be? Because everybody wants to know now more about your personal life, but where, how personal do you want to be? And that's a real individual choice. Yeah. I want to zoom in on something that you said that really stuck out to me as you were talking about, like you said, patterns, beliefs, and blocks. And you said, Asara Lovejoy, is that a name or is that a strategy? That's a or name. Did I yeah, yeah. That? No, that's she's okay. A, that's her name. And it's called The One Command with Asara Lovejoy. The One Command. That's okay. So uh, another theme that I, I, find all the time that I just find to be so true in my life is a quote by Carl Jung, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. And, you know, we all have these kind of unconscious things that are sitting around in our brains. And until someone, you know, going back to external feedback brings it up or you find it like you didn't realize that it was sitting there. So when you do that technique with people, what are some of the ways that you help people uncover some of those internal blocks that may be holding them back that they don't even realize is there? It comes out in the course of conversation. You know, hmm. what, what the, if somebody, sometimes people know like what, what, what they don't want to talk about or what they don't want to cover. And sometimes they don't. And what happens like with one um, man, a CEO that I was media training, there was one type of man that got under his skin in every venture, in every V when they were going for the next round capital. And so he knew that that man got under his skin, but he didn't know why. And the why isn't necessarily important. It's about doing like behavioral co cognitive therapy. It's not therapy. I don't do therapy, but I do the behavioral situation, the actual role play. Because what happens mm. when you start to do that role play is that you can lessen the impact and lessen the trigger. Can we get to the bottom of that trigger? Yes, but that takes time sometimes. And sometimes it can be released instantly. And sometimes it's layer upon layer upon layer because it's so deep from your childhood. But whatever that was, so what we did in that situation is I role-played that guy who got under his skin over and over again until he could handle that situation with grace and ease. Hmm. And we didn't actually go back because he wasn't necessarily open to that kind of processing. So we didn't go back into like, where did that first start? Like, why does that guy get under your skin? But something like the one command and tapping can go back to that and mm. release it. So then you're not, you're not triggered or the awareness of the trigger happens, but you can still maintain your center and equanimity and handle it and get back on center. Like in Aikido, one of the things that happens is, um, Japanese martial arts. So I'm, I'm a black belt in, in, in Aikido is that it's not that we don't, the, the founder said, um, they said to him, how can you always stay on center? He goes, I don't. But when I get pushed off center, you don't see how fast I get back to center. And that's what we're doing in a media interview. You might get pushed off center and you probably will because these things happen, but how can you bring yourself back to center in a breath, in every moment? And that's one of the things that we practice. So even if somebody jabs you in your trigger point, um, and, you know, there's that joke about like, why can our parents push our buttons because they installed them? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so you will be pushed off point. No, there's no doubt about that. In some media interview, you will be caught off guard. You would be pushed off point. That's a given. It's about how you handle it and get back to center. 
I love that. And I think it's a huge takeaway for anyone is like the next time something triggers you, it's actually a huge opportunity to just go deeper and ask yourself, where did that come from? And I, I think that that's a good opportunity for some self-coaching is because if you realize that you're getting pissed off about something, <laughs> it means that there's probably something to learn if you just kind of zoomed in on that on yourself and figured out where it came from, um, which is which is really powerful. So I this has been so incredible. We've talked about, we've, we've kind of gone in a bunch of different places. We talked about like fundamental self-worth. We've talked about building your bio and your stories up. Um, and so I think that anybody can start to take these and build a library and start working on some of those things. But let's say someone hears that and they're getting ready to maybe start pitching the media. Um, one of the things that you also help people with is like, once you have those stories, how do you actually reach out to and, and get some media coverage? So what are some of the best suggestions you might have for people to leverage their story to reach out to the media? What are those emails look like? Some suggestions on actually landing media. Yeah, you made a really great suggestion that I think um, people may not want to hear, but it's to do your homework first. I, like if it's a podcast, you need to to listen to it. And, you know, one of the things I do even in a podcast is I, I look how you title them. Like, how did you even title each podcast? You know, so I'm listening to it. I'm getting a sense of your style. I'm, I'm looking to see how you title it. And when I pitch you, I would pitch in the way that you titled it. You know, mm, I would interesting. That. So if you're if you're looking at Fast Company or you're looking you're looking on a, sh a TV show, whatever it is, how are they um, positioning their headlines? You know, and you would want to pitch in that way. And I do have another free. Oh no, that one's not free, but I have a document on. No, I have a I have a blog post on AI that will help you with your headlines, where you can actually mm -hmm. rank them. I don't know about, about you, but inside my blog, it's it's autom it's automatic where you can start to test your headlines. But I have a blog post that I think it's called um, "How to Create Great Hooks That the Media Love," something like that. But it's mm -hmm. um, testing the headlines because here's the thing: you're never getting your pitch opened unless the headline captures the attention of the journalist or the producer. So that's number one. So feed them the kind of headlines that they that they have been showing you that they love. And then the second part of that is you need to back that up with something that's relevant to their audience or trending today. So you're matching your expertise and your experience to what their audience needs to know. And then your bio should be tailored to that exact pitch for that show. So like even my bio for you, I changed it. I have a, a standard, a couple of standard bios. I have like 10, but I change it to fit your show because just slightly different to for the focus. And that's one of the ways that you want to pitch too. If you're pitching a particular topic, you want to show the expertise specifically in that topic. So those mm -hmm. are some things to, to very much focus on the kind of media that you want and then, and make sure that that media, that media is really the audience that you want. Like you might love a show or mm. something like that, but is that where your audience is? Is that who you want to touch, right? Like those have to match as well. That's brilliant. And I, I think that's, there's a book that just came out by Joe Polish. He wrote the book, What's In It For Them. 
And I think it's so easy to like get it stuck in your head that you're trying to get a point across, but like what you just displayed so displayed so brilliant there is like what's in it for them? Like what are they looking for? What what's their mindset? How are they looking at structuring things? And then how do you position yourself in a way that's just in alignment with serving them and serving their goals? Because at the end of the day, people don't really care about you trying to get the media. They care about how you can serve the audience. So let's say they did research some headlines, they did find out some topics. What what is that actual email look like? I'm really curious. Like I have a journalist in mind. I've seen their their titles. Like, is it the, the subject line is around the topic and then it's just a few sentences? Like, just let me know if I open my email inbox, what would that email look like if I was the journalist? Uh, so one, I would, oftentimes journalists have ways that they want to be pitched. You can look on LinkedIn because sometimes they tell you how they want to be pitched. Like one mm. journalist that I just... Um, pitched for Fast Company, who um, who did reject <laughs> who rejected my pitches, but she wrote back, which is is really great. Um, said I want. Um, they're very specific. It's like I want one line about your topic. I, th that's it. I just I want I want mm -hmm. the I want the one line, and so that's all I sent her. Like here's the idea, and she's like, "Yeah, no." And I was pitching, you know, obviously things about publicity. And finally, she said to me, "I don't write at all about publicity." Now I had researched all of her articles, and while there weren't any about publicity, I was still connecting leadership with public publicity. Hmm. So I didn't think it was off. But as soon as she said she would wasn't going to write about anything that was regarding media training and publicity. Now I have another idea for her about leadership that I'm going to pitch her that has nothing to do with that, but will still serve my end, but I think will serve hers as well. Um, another journalist uh, wants you to um, give like one line of um, one line of your expertise. Um, it was like, and another one was like a hundred words in this. They're very, very, very specific about how they want to be pitched. So that's something that you need to know before you even pitch them, because you might think, oh, I should send them an email in this way. And, and they may not want it in that way. <laughs> so that's super time consuming, but so an email pitch. Um, so, so one that's going to be coming out in a magazine, which I'm not going to tell you which one, but it is going to come out. So this journalist did accept it is about, um, three ways that women can let go of imposter syndrome and shine in the media mm. spotlight. That was, so it's, you know, it's numbers, it's quick, because also I know that that column is very short. So I, that's why I didn't pitch five points because five points would have been too many. So I mm. knew that it was going to be very short and I needed to just do it in three points. So, so it was three. So numbers are always great. Um, Things that are counterintuitive, surprising, shocking things that people don't expect that are, you know, like, um, so going back to the psychiatrist with her, some of her case studies is um, how the COVID vaccine can cause depression and OCD in children. What? Like, this is like cutting edge research, right? So shocking and surprising. Now you have to have that backed up. That needs research to back it up. So you do, if you're, you, you do have to have your facts and statistics down if you're doing something cutting edge. Um, but if it's about your expertise or something like that, I mean, I always think statistics and facts are great, not your, and then you might want to include your thought leadership. Like, why is your opinion um, a little contrary? 
or why is it a little unusual? So journalists are always looking for the contrary, the counterintuitive, the surprising, the new, 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 new. Mm-hmm. I had somebody that I interviewed, Dr. Mark Goulston, incredible. Oh, episode. I, He's a former... I included him in some of my um in some of my courses. Yeah, that's great. Oh, that's incredible. He's brilliant, but he has this one-liner. It's just like, you want things to be counterintuitive, but intuitively correct. And when I heard him say that, I'm like, oh, that's so good. Um, And I think that (laughs) Susan's writing it down now. I was like, yeah, I know that was was a good one when that came out of his mouth. But I think that that's super cool. And it's funny, as you were talking with these media outlets, you know, having the format that they want. I've hired a few people off of Upwork in the past. And one funny trick that I do is like at the very bottom of a proposal, I'll put, make sure you include three fire emojis at the top of your proposal. And you'd be surprised (laughs) how few people like actually pay attention and put the fire emojis at the top and I can immediately eliminate them. And so I think that that's just kind of a funny example, but there are, these people are being pitched all the time. If you're not following their format, even if your stuff is good, they might not even look at it, right? So like, that's just like an important thing that, um, you know, if you've tried pitching before and you didn't even realize uh, what what context that they're looking for it or how to structure it, <laughs> it's just a really fundamental thing that I think is really important to understand. A gal that I was just, so I was just moderating a panel for Women Future. And one of the women on the panel made a suggestion that I thought was really brilliant. And I had, I um, my um, podcast booker had already recommended this and I'd totally forgotten about it. But she reminded me of this, that if you're pitching a podcast or a TV show, use something like bomb bomb or video ask to actually create an embedded video that doesn't read as a attachment. You can never send attachments to journalists, but Mm. if you're pitching like a podcast host, if you speak to them directly and pitch them directly on video, then they have a sense of you and your style already. So they may not have to do the pre-interview. I mean, a lot of people do these very extensive and long pre-interviews, which is extremely time consuming. But you've already like passed if you're if you can engage them in that way, you've already like gone through like the gauntlet of that. Yeah, I I, I just yes. And that I it t- took some improv, but like I, like I've been on a bunch of podcasts, too. And like that's one thing that I've done when they send me that long form. <laughs> some some of the some people have the worst forms. It's like this is going on for forever. But you one thing I'll do is I'll open up a video and I'll I'll record my answers to all of them. And I'll put the, the Vimeo link or whatever it is to answer those questions, because not only do they see how I answer it, they see like my gesticulating and my, my intonation and like how I tell stories and all that kind of stuff. So I might, uh, I, I love that. And I think that's a hundred percent true. Because and is, that at the end of the day, is that for, for when you pitch them or they've already accepted you? Um, y- usually that's at the point where they would send like, a a form, like it may not be a hundred percent solidified yet. They said, yeah, sure. Fill out this form. And I've had tons of people get back to me where they're like, you know, normally we don't accept these, <laughs> but like we saw your video and like your personality came through and you did it. And so I think that showing not telling is so important, really like, like why, how can you show not tell what you do? And I think that any opportunity to do that is, is an incredible opportunity. That's such a great hint too, because that would be so much faster on those forms if you could just, oh yeah, in the, in the video, I'm going to try that next because I just went through Go for a it. onerous form and, and the person pinged me back the booker and she's like, 
why haven't you filled out the form? And I'm like, because it's so long. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we want to get you on the show. And I'm like, I got derailed because I have other things to do and your form is so long. Yeah. yeah. Well, there, there's a there's a hint for you if you're a podcaster listening to this or somebody with an audience. Like I that's one of my pet peeves. It's just like, how can you if you if you have an incredible human that you want to spend time with, how do you reduce the barriers to entry, not <laughs> not increase them? So so uh man, time is absolutely flown, Susan. I know we're kind of coming up on our time. I figured maybe we could wrap up a, a little bit with with some of your tips on being interviewed. So we've gotten to this point, we, we've kind of followed a journey here. We've talked about writing an engaging bio. We've talked about how to create effective stories. We've talked about how to pitch. Now you land an interview. And I know you talk about in your past, it's like you would help people get these incredible interviews and then they would just drop the ball by sucking at inter <laughs> being in the interview. So um, maybe if you just have some high level tips, what are some of the suggestions that you would have for people once they have an opportunity to make sure that, that it actually gets the results that they're looking for? So you have all of your messaging down and then you want to role play it. So with all of my clients, we actually do role play. We start very slowly and then we build up to um, a, a, a fast pitch because you want to train in the medium that you're being interviewed in. So if you're actually doing a TV interview, you have two or four minutes, which is super, super fast. So you have to have your sound bites or your messaging down to less than 30 seconds. And you have to be able to do, do it in a kind of a conversation. So you've got to be able to do it super quickly. So you want to role play that so you get the feel of it. And then you also want to role play that with where with a media trainer like myself or someone, your friend who derails you to make sure that you can stay on message. Mm. So that's super, that's super important. If you're doing a TV pitch, you want to have what's called background footage or B-roll, which is um, either photographs or video or props that help move the conversation forward quickly because it's so condensed. It's mm. a visual. Um, and then another thing is, so you want to be able to most importantly, be relaxed. And that's what takes the practice ahead of time. So I highly, highly recommend that you have some sort of practice in place, whether it's walking, meditation, sports, some way to relax yourself ahead of time, because we all get nervous and, and nerves are just a part of it. So to accept that the nerves are a part of it and to be able to turn that into excitement. But in the moment, you want to be able to be calm and still in a in a TV interview, but still be animated. So it's yeah. kind of an oxymoron, but you want to have the energy and yet the stillness at the same time. That's kind of an Aikido principle we call uh, stillness and movement. And mm. so that's the same kind of thing where you... Uh, Willie, Willie on Morning Joe is such a great example of that. He's like, so I don't know if you know him, I forgot his last name, but he's, he's got he's got a real, a solid stillness to him. And yet he's very animated. So having your messaging absolutely down, and also then being being able to be prepared to change that messaging up at the last minute, because sometimes things get changed all so you have to be able to be fluid and in the flow, plan, prepare, and practice to be free to be spontaneous. And mm. that takes a lot of practice. Yeah. Well, I think that that will probably just help so many people knowing that the nerves don't go away. <laughs> you know, it's like I've I've had the opportunity to do some some speaking in front of large groups of people, and I I'm pretty used to it at this point. But it's like you always have I always have those flutters still, but I I translate it into excitement. So it's good to know that even a pro like you that said it way more than I have, <laughs> you still at least have that, or at least the people you coach to have that. So amazing, Susan. I have like are you cool with one more kind of interview question sure. and then we can kind of wrap things up? Okay. So here's another interesting thing is 
obviously you do a lot of time working on your stories kind of in the cave, right? Like you're coming up, you're brainstorming. If you're working with someone like Susan, you're practicing it. And then sometimes what happens is you go out in reality, you go out on a podcast and and you get feedback uh, that will help you to iterate on your stories. So it's like the way I kind of expand on this, it's like comedians, they'll go out, they'll test a story. If they see their audience isn't laughing, they'll go back and they'll fix it. So I'm just kind of curious is like, as you work with clients, do you have any like indicators of like when a story landed really well or when you need to tweak something or or how to improve it and kind of leverage media as like a feedback loop almost to make sure that your stuff is getting better and better? Well, part of the feedback loop is you is like, what are you responding to? And and mm. if you are putting out headlines on podcasts, what are people responding to? And then what are you responding to? What are you going like, hey, that's a takeaway, you know, um, which which some podcast hosts don't do or, or TV hosts don't do it, but also listen to the way that they repackage you because the media is an expert in packaging you. So mm. You may have gone out and packaged yourself some way. I'm always listening to how did the media repackage me? Wow, Mm. I can use that. And sometimes things that you've said, I'm like, gosh, he said it better than I did or more more clearly. So I'm going to make a note to how you recapped whatever I said. And we're always looking at... um, what did you do well and what could you shift for next time? So it's a completely iterative process. What landed, what didn't? So sometimes we don't know because we don't have a live audience, but because when you're in a, like when you, when you're talking on the stage, you hear what lands, right. you can feel the energy. So that's, it's much easier, I think in person because you're, you have a sense and a feel of the audience and you have the energetic and then you're getting instant feedback, hmm. you know? And in a Zoom, if if you were on Zoom and there's a whole bunch of people, you do want to try to watch the reactions because that's the only way that we can see what lands is how it's landing on other people, Mm -hmm. right? It's landing on on people. So we have to, we have to, the people perspective is what's important for us to see that works. And Jerry Seinfeld, who's a master, you mentioned comedians, he would tweak, like when he did that last world tour before, he would tweak everything down to the pause to when he moved on stage, because all of those kinds of things mattered. Mm-hmm. The, your pause, pitch, pacing, staccato, legato, how you speed up, how you slow down, where you put the emphasis, that's all in play. And you know, when people tell jokes, it's like, how do you tell the punchline, right? Like, have you, you know, the timing of it. So all of that comes into the practice. It's not just like learning lines. It's like, how do you deliver them? How, uh, and how they're received. So that's where the hmm. practice of the tweaking and the playing, I like to call it play. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I think this goes full circle to the very beginning. Cause the first thing we were talking about was self-coaching, right? Like this is if this is relentless studying of what's working and what's not working and you're never done with it. But I, I love that tip of, you know, I've, I've kind of thought about that, but I haven't really explored it to the depth that I should. It's like of the shows that you've been on or any exposure that you've gotten, like, look at, go listen to how they introduce you. Like, listen, like see how they titled the podcast or see how they, they came out with the article because they're trying to make their, the reason why they're producing the piece is so that 
they're contributing to their audience. And however, they decided to rework that there's some, probably some gold and some things that you didn't even realize. So, I mean, I think just everything is an opportunity. It's like, if your pitch didn't go through, there's an opportunity to learn there. If somebody repackaged you, there's an opportunity to learn there. If uh, if a joke didn't land in front of a live audience, there's a opportunity to learn there. So um, that's kind of another thing I've, I've picked up from, from you and what you're doing with your clients is that you're constantly iterating and, and learning so that you get better and better and better. That's awesome. And being persistent. Like, so, so the potential client that I was just talking to, she said, oh, you know, I pitched some really big podcasts and they haven't had results. And I'm like, oh, really? I said, tell me about one instance. And she said, um, he pitched a really big podcast and she did the video in it and she's very mediagenic and they've opened it eight times. <laughs> Interesting. Like, okay. But they haven't contacted her. And I said, well, have you followed up? And she said, no. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you might want to follow up yeah because eight times I don't know what that means but if they've opened your email eight times it means something so I would definitely follow up and come up with a different idea come up with a little tweak because it's about um right pitch right person right time right place you know right medium mm. and we don't know what the answer is but if somebody's Oh, if she can see that they've opened that email eight times, there's something there and there's an, it's an open door. Yeah. A hundred percent. Another incredible tip. Cause it's like almost all the, not almost all, but like a ton of the incredible results that I've gotten from reaching out to people. It's like the initial email is only a fraction of the people that'll ever respond. It's like, you got to follow up a week later. And sometimes I even schedule a calendar event to go back and schedule out a month later. Cause they're maybe they're in the middle of a launch or something. And they're just like, not on their yeah, email. Yeah. It could not be about you. It's easy to, it's easy to go into a danger loop. Like, Oh, they hate me. My pitch was terrible, but lots of the times it's just maybe, <laughs> maybe they were just crazy busy, you know? So lots of gold. If you, if you follow up on that. So I love that Susan, this has been so incredible. I want to be respectful of your time. So the last question I love to ask guests uh, is, kind of just kind of a painting a picture for everyone is I would love to understand what happiness means for you today. And then we can start wrapping things up. Happiness means to me contentment in the moment. So I heard um, Tara Brock ask this question, what can you do to be content right now, which is a little different than happiness. So I'm mm. looking for contentment and peace of mind. Like, and that doesn't mean that I stay in the same static state, but I like this idea of contentment. Like what, what do I need to do or what do I need to think? How do I need to be, to be content in this moment? Because this is the only moment we have. Yeah. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Won't add anything on top of that. Besides you've already mentioned some resources that people can check out. So where can people go to find out all the incredible stuff that you're up to? So they can go to prsecrets.com. And then the document that I was talking about, the five, your five signature stories that you can do in five minutes, by the way, because it's all templated, is at um, prsecrets.com forward slash SIG pod, S-I-G-P-O-D. And then I have lots of other free things on the site. I've got free videos. I've got a whole free section. So you can, you could probably spend a lifetime there if you are interested with all of the free resources that I have as well. Love that. So everybody can head me personally. I'd be delighted to. So there's a consult. Uh, there's a, a consult button there as well to ping me for a time for us to connect one-on-one -on -one when I would love to meet you. 
Brilliant. So that can be found at prsecrets.com or prsecrets.com slash sigpod, S-I-G-P-O-D. We'll make sure that that is linked up in the show notes. And I just really quickly want to have a conversation with you listening right now. You're still hanging out with us and I am so grateful that you took the time out of your day today. You clicked on this episode with Susan and you're, you've are you been on for quite a ride from the very beginning, learning about coaching uh, Kings, <laughs> affluent people's kids and tennis and what that had to do with PR to learning how to tell more effective stories, to making things more sizzly, to pitching the media. There's absolutely something in today's podcast that could change someone's life if it landed in the right hands. So if you have a friend that you know is trying to make sure that they're getting on media or is struggling with getting their thought leadership out to the world. This can absolutely impact them if you decide to share that with them. So it would make my day. It would make Susan's day if you chose to do that. But regardless, I appreciate you so much for being here and hanging out with us. And Susan, any final things you want to say before we head out today? Just your, you have relentless enthusiasm and thirst for knowledge. And I really love that. And I know you're going to go far and help so many people. And I just, I love your just your commitment to your own learning, but also the way that you love to connect people and give to give to others in such in such a deep way, a deep and sincere way that's like no um, no BS. So I really mm. appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the kind words, Susan. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. <laughs>